0: welcome back to 71% a podcast exploring the latest aquatic research taking place across our big blue planet our goal is to bring you cool stories about science taking place in oceans rivers and lakes so that you can help spread information to protect the watery habitats that make up most of our planet 71% to be precise So let me introduce my partner in crime. She's got more going on than Stacy's mom. It's Dr. Laura Capilassi, <laughs> who is in Finland and uses
1: she, her pronouns. <laughs> uh, well, who knows if I've got s- as much going on as Stacy's mom. <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we didn't say what you had going on. I have on, stuff going you, on. You definitely
0: have a lot of it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you do. I'm not sure if I have it going on.
0: I'm sure you do. I think, I think on some level we've all got it going on, but you you really are pushing the boundaries.
1: (laughs) And across the Atlantic from me is my partner. Benjamin, gee, I think you're swell and you really know me well. You're my friend, my twin, (laughs) etc.
0: I just (laughs) love the etc.
1: Do you
0: know that song? Okay. No! It sounds really familiar though. Oh great, somebody's hoovering <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> We've not had this problem yet, yeah. but yeah, so I'll, I'll try to get rid of the uh, annoying hoovering. But yeah, I didn't get the song. Which song was that one from?
1: Actually, let me check who's it from, because uh, I know that song. It's Eleanor, I think it's the monkeys or uh, one of these. Ooh. It's by the Turtles. It's one of these, yeah, one of these 60s boy bands. <laughs> it's a, it's a cool song. It's Energy, I think, as well. So I just, you know, right. you see what I did? That's on my playlist now. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, anyway, so uh. Uh, Benjamin is <laughs> currently in Canada and he uses he, they pronouns. I actually will try my best Indeed. to use they because it's, for me, it's still um, automatic to use the they, uh, to use he, so, <laughs> see? <laughs> I, I get just as confused <laughs> <Yeah>. as you. <laughs> okay. So the hoovering so. stopped. <laughs> okay let's do it let's try to squeeze in the episode in between hoovers let's let's do it
0: dun, dun, dun. okay so what's the good stuff for today i'll put on my best uh, newsreader voice <clears throat> <clears throat> according to the 2017 un world water Report, over 80 percent of the world's wastewater is released back into the environment without adequate treatment this means that soluble pollutants from agriculture, industry, and urban areas can dissolve into water and enter natural ecosystems. We talked about this in issue in one of our previous episodes called Heavy Metal Cocktail, when we explored research that investigated how gold mining in South America was polluting the Amazon River with toxic heavy metals. In this episode we're going to discuss a very different type of pollution and consider the effects it's having on aquatic environments but first Laura, let's ponder one of the universe's biggest unanswered questions mm. how do you Europe... is there life on mars even bigger than that Oh. even bigger okay.
1: than that and it is how... go on if you can guess <laughs> 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 uh... I uh, let me think what are cats evil?
0: I think that's pretty much been answered quite conclusively <laughs> on this podcast as well.
1: <laughs> Is there life after love? Oh, you're kind of getting on the right track there. <laughs> really? A little bit. <laughs> Is there life yeah. after I think after it... I think this question Is there life? Is their life? is their life. Just is there life. I... What is life? What is love? That's it. Baby what is don't love? don't
0: hurt me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the question is, how do European eels have sex? <laughs>
1: that was that was going to be my next. But I
0: I could tell it really was on the
1: tip <laughs> of <laughs> I was like, yeah, eels. That's it. And that's the next Eel sex,
0: <laughs> it's it's right up there with is there like
1: hardly a week goes by without me thinking about eel sex.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm surprised it's a week. For me it's usually like an hourly <laughs> little ponder of like how, how does it happen?
1: Uh, ah. So do they get just tangled and then that's it?
0: Well we don't know. This is this is the problem.
1: Ah, nobody knows. For your nobody yeah, knows about Nobody knows. Okay. <laughs> okay, but how, what does that have to do with waste butter? <laughs> well, fasten your
0: seatbelts
1: for a ride down Ben's rabbit rather.
0: hole of random <laughs> tangents. <laughs> uh. okay. So, we aren't the only ones curious about eel reproduction. The private life of eels has been somewhat of a mystery since the Greco-Roman age. <laughs> the
1: Private life of eels. That could be I a... feel like we're invading their private life. <laughs> I, th- I feel like we're doing something we shouldn't be. <laughs> Let them have a private life. No, we must know. <laughs> <laughs> we must investigate. We oh, must take photos of them. There's eels it. doing it. <laughs> Do eels got it going on? <laughs> uh,
0: okay. So... As we're saying, the private life of eels has been a big mystery since the Greco Roman age, and that's because of two main factors. First of all, male European eels don't have testes, which tends to make reproduction difficult, even in the strange world of fish biology and reproduction. Don't have what? Testes, testicles, balls, Testy. <laughs> bollocks. testicles. <Testy. laughs> I was trying to Such be scientific. A cute... <laughs>
1: They don't have what? Balls! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for being so funny to say testy. Testies? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> testy. Well, I think so, like. Mind you, I'm not a native speaker.
0: True. But testies is still quite a funny word. <laughs> so like, it is. I love it. So, obviously, there's a bit of a difference between mammals and fish in terms of. Testies? Yeah. Because they aren't the most.
1: Hydrodynamic
0: feature, and when you're oh. a fish, you have to be pretty hydrodynamic for obvious reasons. That's
1: true. You don't see fish balls hanging out that much. You really
0: don't. So, in fish, they're kept internally and mm-hmm. are usually referred to as testes rather than balls or His testicles ballsies, <laughs> or whatever you want to say there.
1: Okay, so it's actually fish people say test. Yeah, I don't think it's just it's, fish people. Like...
0: I think like I, I guess birds don't have them either for the same reason, right? You don't, you're not very aerodynamic if you have.
1: Okay, so if you have internal testicles, they are called testes. Good, we could it, say that. Or...
0: I'm not entirely certain, although.
1: It's not just a cute name. No. For it.
0: I don't think so. We well, see one of the big things that I've, I've uh, <laughs> this
1: isn't really something Sorry. that shouldn't go I'm, on to. I'm, on a I'm very mature. I'm very mature. This is where our podcast okay, another... is taken off. Yeah, but basically, in uh... mammals,
0: they have external testes. At least a lot of mammals do uh, to control the temperature because sperm is only produced yeah. at specific temperatures for mammals. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Uh, animals like birds and fish they don't necessarily have external testes. And especially for fish, all that production goes on inside of the the, the fish. Um, mm-hmm. So if you were to catch a male European eel and dissect it, you wouldn't find any testes inside of the, the eel.
1: Okay. So that's the first... You wouldn't find testes. No. So they don't have testes. They have no
0: testes. So that's... The first WTF in terms of, uh, eel WTF. sex. <laughs> the second is that for much of recorded human history, nobody has ever seen a baby eel.
1: <gasps> no. They're like pigeons. Where are the baby pigeons? <laughs> where are they? <laughs> yeah. Where are the baby eels? Wow. Well, oh my God. Where did they come from? Where did they go? So much mysterious.
0: So mysterious. mysterious. And this enigma has stumped naturalists for a very long time. Since the days of Aristotle and Pliny the Elder, naturalists have been pondering the question of (laughs) how do eels have sex? Because the males don't have testes and there aren't any babies. And so this uh, gave rise to some unusual theories about how eels reproduced. Some of these theories include the idea that eels grow from insects such as beetles, that they're spontaneously birthed from sea foam, that they're they're (laughs) created when rainwater mixes with mud, or that they spring forth from skin that's been shed by elderly eels, or what my personal favorite, that they grow from horse hairs which have fallen into the river. Oh, uh, that's so, that's cute. Yeah, some really creative uh, ideas there of uh, how how eels, how baby eels come about.
1: This sounds like a job for for Mulder and Scully from X-Files. <laughs> okay. In
0: 1886, a French biologist called Yves Delage. So, uh, Delage made an exciting breakthrough. Delage had been keeping this weird transparent leaf-shaped creature. Uh, called a leptocephalus in a marine tank in his lab, when it unexpectedly changed into a tiny eel. And Delage had discovered the fact that eels are metamorphic creatures, which means that they go through a series of complex life stages that look quite different to each other. Um, And it starts with the leptocephalus, which then matures into a glass eel, which, as the name suggests, are tiny little transparent eels, These glass eels then become elvers, which then turn into yellow eels, and they finally become silver eels, um, and the silver eels are the ones that mature into adults and and spawn. So until Delarge discovered that eels were metamorphic, it had always been assumed that these different life stages were completely separate species, and they weren't the same animal, but just in different life stages. Um, So yeah, so Delarge solved the mystery of where the baby eels had been hiding and they've been hiding in plain sight, they just looked completely different to how you'd expect a baby eel to look.
1: Okay, so we know where the babies, like where the adults come from, mm-hmm. but we still don't know how the babies get made, right? Exactly. The, the
0: missing mm-hmm. eel testes. Uh... <laughs> the missing eel testes, that sounds so I funny. think that could be the title of the episode. <laughs> Wanted. Dead or alive. Eel testes. Oh, well, definitely.
1: <laughs> Let's make a poster.
0: <laughs> have you seen this? And oh, then... We wouldn't have a picture. That's the problem. We don't know what they look yeah. like.
1: Oh, right, they could that's be true.
0: bright pink with yellow spots. I mean, I hope <laughs> not, but
1: <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a possibility.
1: I think if they were bright pink with yellow spots, we would have found them by now.
0: I, it would be easier, definitely.
1: Um, so... In the early
0: 1900s, a Danish marine biologist called Johannes Schmidt sailed all across the Atlantic to try and find the spawning grounds of, of the European eel, and Schmidt found that the smallest leptocephalus were always found living in the, drum roll please, Sargasso Sea. <gasps> so yeah we've encountered this unusual place in a previous episode called falling death and we've learned that this sea is really unusual because it's a mass of water that's isolated by currents uh, in the atlantic ocean and so it's the only sea that doesn't have any terrestrial boundaries Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah if you
1: want to and there's loads of floating seaweed
0: loads of floating seaweed it's also home to the atlantic garbage patch uh because of all these currents forming this unusual area. So yeah, if you want to learn more about the Sargasso, then listen to that episode, Falling Death. So Schmidt found all these tiny little baby Leptocephalus in the Sargasso Sea and proposed that uh, this must be the spawning ground of the eels, which would mean that the adult European eels migrate 6,000 kilometers from Europe to the Sargasso in order to spawn. And that once the eggs hatched and, and the leptocephalus were born, they would uh, slowly migrate all the way back to Europe. But curiously, nobody has actually seen an adult eel in the Sargasso sea, an adult European eel. So the Enigma of the Testes, another good the <laughs> name for the, of the uh, for the episode, <laughs> the Enigma of the Testes. And the mystery of how European eels reproduce continues to this day. So we're still not 100% sure. We think we know where it happens, but we've not actually seen anything happening there, uh, despite all the drones and things that are sent down to look for them. Uh, But what
1: about aquariums? Haven't we had like a couple of eels in an aquarium and monitored them?
0: uh, A lot of species of fish don't reproduce in captivity because we don't know the exact conditions that they need so for some species of fish it's specific water chemistry or perhaps a particular moon phase mixed with a tide or things like that so a lot of fish have quite unique Mm. they 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 really are particular they need the mood to be just right and things like uh, rose petals and candles and chocolates don't do it for them they, oh yeah, they need the the moon to be just right while that uh, <laughs> seductive saxophone tracks playing in the background.
1: And some say romance is dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so the enigma, the enigma of the eel testes, or the enigma of the eel EO... genitalia, <laughs> <can we> <laughs> the eel reproduction, yeah. the eel sex. Yeah. Still leaves on. Yeah. And so has there been any progress in finding this? Out? I don't think or... so.
0: Not from when I was not from when I was researching this. Um like I said, we we think we know where it happens and I think other species of eel have been observed breeding, so we've kind of got a good idea of the uh, the physics of, of it so to speak. But mm-hmm. nobody's actually seen this species of eel reproducing. Um so yeah, so the mystery continues. To, to answer your question from the begin, beginning, what do eels have to do with water pollution? Well, the answer is quite obvious when you think about it, and that is Glastonbury.
1: Oh, sure. That <laughs> I, I, I knew there would be something about a festival. I wasn't going to say Glastonbury, but I was definitely <laughs> going to say a music festival.
0: <laughs> I love when I said that, you looked simultaneously perplexed and annoyed. just like... <laughs>
1: it's like Uh, of course of course Glastonbury of course (laughs) okay please elaborate
0: (laughs) so for those of you who aren't familiar Glastonbury is a music festival that's held in Somerset England uh, and is more or less an annual festival since the 1970s. Um, it's regarded as one of the biggest festivals in the UK and attracts legends from rock and pop music to perform on various stages, often with crowds of 200,000 people over five days. So it's kind of like a long weekend.
1: Have I, you been, then?
0: I've not, actually. I was going to go one year, but it was the one of the fallow years. So, so some years they kind of don't have it to let the uh, the grass recover. Um,
1: Mm. Uh, have you been? No. no. I always wanted to, but I haven't. No. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm too old for festivals. <laughs> <laughs> like, big festivals like that, you know, yeah. with too many people, too, many, too much mud. Well, I mean, once we're,
0: once they hear this episode, they're obviously going to reach out to us and ask us to perform on stage. So, uh, I mean, we, we could well get our wish of going to Glastonbury without having to deal with the mud and people.
1: So what did you say about asking us to what? Well, once they hear this
0: episode, Glastonbury are going to invite Invite us us. to go and perform. Yeah,
1: we can be called the electric eels. Ooh, I like it. And we only play electric guitars.
0: Whilst dressed as eels. Of course. (laughs) Playing electro music.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like uh, Mighty Bush style.
0: Yes, exactly. But interesting fact, electric eels aren't actually eels.
1: Really? It's a lie! It's Murray. all a lie! It's a lie! <laughs> they're actually. They're kn- robots.
0: They're robots, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're actually underwater drones. That just... No, they're,
0: they're actually uh, from a group of fish called knife fish. And that's a, a group of fish that are very good at using electrical currents for sensing uh, each other and uh, other fish in the environment. Hmm. So yeah, not actually an eel, it's all a lie.
1: There's so many misnamed animals and creatures in the sea, right? Like starfish, not a star... Not a fish. (laughs) fish. Otherwise, spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Jellyfish, not a fish. Not jelly. So now, (laughs) not jelly. (laughs) So now electric eels are not eels. No, they're knife fish.
0: Um... But I guess that's a good example of convergent evolution mm-hmm. where you've got two similar looking animals that aren't really related to each other but they have a similar um
1: morphology
0: yeah and lifestyle and the, the things they do are quite similar but we're going off on another tangent and uh, back to Glastonbury
1: <laughs> it's what we're all about Ben <laughs> it really tangents. is if people are
0: listening and not here for the tangents then I really don't know how they manage <laughs> you to keep up
1: Okay, so Glastonbury. Yeah, Yeah.
0: as you might expect, illicit drugs such as cocaine, opiates, methamphetamines, MDMA and ketamine are frequently used by festival goers during this long weekend. Um,
1: Uh, Don't tell me it gets all washed up in the river. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, equally unsurprising, the waste management leaves much to be desired. And there's often long queues for portable blues that have been uh, used to the point of disgusting yeah yeah Uh, yeah Uh, uh, so moving on yeah so people often (laughs) uh, relieve themselves out in nature and this could be a problem because as as you sussed out if the drug-infused urine uh, pollutes the surrounding environment uh, these compounds in the drugs can have uh, potential effects on aquatic life particularly embryo development and sexual reproduction Oh, God. And you guessed it, there are populations of the critically endangered European eel living in the rivers around Glastonbury. Oh, boy. boy. So we have this super weird fish that has unusual life stages and mysterious reproduction that's critically endangered and living next to Party Central. (laughs) And so,
1: well, maybe they're also having fun. <laughs>
0: I hope so. I really genuinely—they're having
1: fun, or then on their way to extinction. Sincerely,
0: if if we were to become extinct, you might as well do it while you're having fun.
1: Blaze of glory.
0: It, it yeah, it's the way to go. <laughs> oh gosh! But today's paper—we're finally there. Today's paper is called the environmental release and ecosystem risks of illicit drugs during Glastonbury Festival. Mm.
1: I, I'm not going to ask, but I'm wondering how did you get to that paper? What were you Googling <laughs> to, get, to get to that paper? What were you trying to buy <laughs> off the internet, Ben? No comment. <laughs> Moving on. <Yeah>. Moving on. <laughs> the, uh,
0: so this, uh, this paper was published in Environmental Research this year by lead author Dan Aberg and colleagues from Bangor University in Wales. Hey. Hey. And so uh, the researchers wanted to see if drug use at the nearby festival polluted the rivers with these illicit compounds. And to do this, they took water samples uh, from two rivers. The first one is called White Lake River, which runs through the, the grounds of Glastonbury. And the second is called Red Lake River, uh, which doesn't run through the boundaries of uh, Glastonbury. And so Red Lake River kind of acts as a control for West, uh, White Lake River. <laughs> I'm already getting the names mixed up for White Lake River. Um, and so the researchers took water samples, both upstream and downstream of the festival, um, and in both these rivers, so White Lake and Red Lake, and they did this both before the festival began during the festival and then after the festival too, so that they could kind of see if there was any pattern um, in time as well as these upstream and downstream locations. And the water samples underwent liquid chromatography, um, which I don't really understand, so we're not going to talk about it. And uh, basically the the
1: water was that's banalized. our motto. <laughs> yeah. That's our motto on the podcast. Oh. I don't really understand so I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm gonna go off on a tangent <laughs> instead. Well I think the thing
0: is if I try and explain it, I'm going to get something wow. wrong so, I know
1: and it's not it's not the point.
0: And it's really outside of my subject area. So
1: if yeah. people want to learn more about
0: liquid chromatography, all power to you go and look up this best of luck best of luck they have a really nice methods section but (laughs) at half past 10 yesterday evening it was going well over my head so yeah
1: um
0: so they did this magic and they wanted to detect mdna and cocaine and the data showed that drug levels were significantly higher in the white lake river than the neighboring red lake river and the, all the White Lake samples uh, from the, the sites there, they showed increased drug concentrations as the festival approaches. They spiked during the festival, but they also remained very high after the festival. And MDMA levels were significantly higher than cocaine, uh, still being present in uh, the Downstreet street. Down, down street. Downstream sites well after the festival. Downstreet. (laughs) Did you say them straight? I said damn straight. yeah. No, I said (laughs) downstreet. I've got some cat hair in my nose it's really irritating (laughs) That's my excuse. (laughs) Uh... Okay, so I'll just try to to go over that part again. All the White Lake samples, uh, they showed increased drug concentrations as the festival approached, during the festival and after the festivals. MDMA levels were higher than cocaine and they were still present in the downstream sites well after the festival. And to give you a bit more context, the drug concentrations were orders of magnitude higher during and after the festival than the baseline samples collected before the festival. Cocaine increased 6.5 times during the festival and reached 15 times higher after the festival, whereas MDMA was 27 times higher during the festival, and after the festival in the downstream sites was 68 times higher than the baseline samples. So these concentrations are well over the limits to be affecting aquatic life. It provides pretty conclusive evidence that the illicit drugs from the festival are contaminating the nearby water sources and traveling downstream. Not only during the festival, uh, the effect doesn't end with Glastonbury, but it continues afterwards, possibly as rainwater washes contaminated soil get washed into the river.
1: Oh, this is really bad.
0: It is. So yeah, as we said, as I just said, the concentrations were much higher than the the levels previously studied uh, in in European eels. Um, There was a study that showed after 30 days of exposure to water contaminated with low levels of cocaine, um, that the European eels endocrine system was disrupted and that delayed maturity, but also probably affected sexual reproduction. Obviously, we don't know for certain because we've not actually seen it happening. Um, And this is particularly worrying because downstream of Glastonbury is a nature reserve called West Hay Moor, which is home to uh, a population of European eels, so they're almost certainly getting a nice dose of uh, cocaine and MDMA in the period after Glastonbury Festival. And obviously not just the European eels, there's lots of other life in these rivers too, but this is the one that the authors focused on.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can only imagine the effects that it's having on, on these waters for animals and for plants, for aquatic plants, probably as well. These are alien chemicals in the water. They're not supposed to be there, especially in these high concentrations. So, But it's crazy, but like, how come? Because you know that there is regulation about what kind of stuff there is in wastewater from industries. But if you think about festivals, usually they just have to follow the protocol about what to do with garbage and with the sports parties, but nobody thinks about the being in nature kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. You cannot really control people's...
0: Especially people <laughs> you... who have taken cocaine or MDMA. They're, I, I would argue, less likely to uh, follow yeah. proper hygiene than people who hadn't.
1: Yeah. If you think normally, if you're hiking, that just going for a wee under a tree is... It's okay it's not gonna harm anybody yeah. but hundreds or thousands of up people yeah. peeing under the trees on the same area that definitely gonna have yeah. have happened in the soil as well right yeah they would imagine the soil um...
0: exactly I was just gonna say that the authors proposed this theory that um... The chemical compounds from the drugs can get stored in the soil and then essentially every time it rains after then it's kind of giving more dosage into the mm-hmm. water so it really isn't just a one-time event it happens for quite a time afterwards mm. yeah and uh, yeah so that, like i said at the beginning it's a very different form of pollution to the uh, heavy metals from mining but has equally I guess you could argue equally destructive impacts on the Potential. environment. Yeah, yeah. potential—that's yeah. a good word. Yeah, on the the environment and um
1: Okay, so that was really interesting. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I hope that people do something in the future about not just Glastonbury but any festivals that have a high concentration of people doing drugs, because that's definitely something that we cannot really control. People, people will be people. People will be doing drugs, especially in music festivals. So uh, we, we need to find a better way to deal with the, the consequences of that and the, to the environment.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you very much for listening to this uh, somewhat obstacle course of an episode, but hopefully you've made it through <laughs> to the end and enjoyed it. And we'll be back again soon with another research uh, paper presenting it for you. That uh, I think Kuka's hosting the next episode, so that's something for everybody to look forward to. <laughs>
1: we should we should uh, release an episode of just Kuka, saying, yeah.
0: And we can all just, just... sit there. But that's so insightful. Just
1: mm. oh yeah. And the listeners, if they have any ideas, any thoughts on how eels reproduce, please share with us. We're mm-hmm. all curious. We would ask
0: that if you do draw any diagrams, please don't put them on social media where people can see them. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, big mystery. Maybe one day it'll get solved, and we'll find out. That'd be cool.
1: Thanks, Ben. Thanks for sharing this uh, this very interesting study with us, and for you know shedding light into something that I think most people, if not all of the people listening to us, have never heard about it. I for sure haven't heard about it. This this pro- both problems with the um, with the contamination like. From the Glastonbury Festival, but also with the mysteries surrounding the eel testes and eel sex. So, I'm going to have some weird dreams tonight. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, thanks for listening everybody and see you next time. Yeah. Till then. We'll catch you downstream. We'll catch you downstream. Yay. Hopefully, we not a lot of drugs.